All right, here we are again. It's a little different Sunday because we just finished a sermon series in the book of Romans. We're going to get out of Romans, but if you missed any of those sermons that we just wrapped up, it was a 13-week series, Romans 12, 9 through 21, 13 verses, started with the sermon, Love Without Hypocrisy. You can go to our YouTube channel and get caught up with any of those. But what a great section of scripture where the Apostle Paul, one of the first leaders of the church, uses 38 verbs describe the activity of you and me as followers of Jesus, answering the question, what does the world need right now? A lot of people have different opinions over what the world needs right now. And what scripture says is the world needs the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus, through which the power of the Holy Spirit can transform some of the most broken relationships on the planet. So would you get caught up? And as we jump into this kind of a standalone Sunday, we're going to a very important saying from Jesus. And the reason why I want to go to this is because a couple of weeks ago, somebody in our church family reached out to me after the sermon, the power to be a peacemaker. And they said, Drew, I want to be a peacemaker. It just seems like there's such a need for us to be peacemakers. But Drew, I don't feel like I have peace in my own life. And this person shared how they're overwhelmed and they feel like they've got nothing to give. And they say, how can I be a peacemaker if I'm not even experiencing that myself? What a great, honest question. And that's why we're going to go to this one verse in John 16, You know, I grew up in the 80s and 90s and I loved watching movies. And, you know, uh, it seemed like some movies could, uh, if they were kind of just okay movies, they could become great movies if there was a great speech. You know, I think of Coach Gordon Bombay and the Mighty Ducks. I think of Professor Keating and Dead Poet Society. I think of William Wallace and Braveheart. Maybe the best speech of all, Fortune, the janitor telling Rudy not to quit. And in those films, I remember as a kid growing up, it was like those words just reached through the screen, grabbed a hold of my heart, gave me a courage, even though I wasn't a hockey player, even though I wasn't a college student, even though I wasn't on a field of war, I, I wasn't a, a football player at Notre Dame. I experienced through those speeches, even though it wasn't directed at me, this sense of being emboldened. Well, my prayer today is that this speech that we're going to get to in a moment, which actually is directed at you, unlike those speeches and films, this speech is directed at you and that you would experience God's word reaching through the screen, grabbing a hold of your heart, your mind, and that you would experience the fullness of actually all the best speeches in the world point to. And in these words, would you find hope? Would you find humility? Would you find courage? But most of all, would you find a peace? No matter where you are, no matter what you're going through. This is John 16, 33. Jesus' words, one verse, he says this. I have said this to you so that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you face persecution, but take courage. I have conquered the world. 
As my friends, the reading of God's word, as we say every week, thanks be to God. Powerful words here. He talks about conquering. He talks about peace. He talks about persecution. He talks about mighty things from a place of strength. But first, a grammar lesson. You know, it's really important to understand. In the Greek language, there's uh, this thing called the indicative mood and the subjunctive mood. You know, the indicative mood, it's not about past or present or future necessarily. It's about something that is certain. So when you use the indicative mood, you are talking about something that certainly has happened, certainly is happening, or certainly will happen. The subjunctive, on the other hand, is different. It talks about something that is a possibility, something that could happen, something that should happen, but isn't certain. Now, in this one verse, in this amazing speech, which I pray will transform your life, Jesus uses the indicative twice and the subjunctive once. He actually says that there are two things that are absolutely certain. And there's one thing that is a possibility. And unless we immerse our lives in God's word, we can forget, we can misunderstand, we can get caught up in the world. And after a while, we can get uh, confused. And the thing that Jesus says is certain, we think, ah, it's just a possibility. And the thing that Jesus says is a possibility, we think, no, 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 well, that's certain. Well, let me cut right to the chase. Jesus says there is one thing, the first thing that is absolutely certain. And he's speaking to followers of Jesus. He's speaking to you and me. He says, I'm certain of this. In this world, you will face persecution. Some translations say trial, some say tribulation, some say trouble. He says, no matter what, it's not a possibility. It's not something that may or may not happen. You will, with absolute certainty, face trouble. And then he says, there's a possibility. He's speaking to followers of Jesus. He says to you and he says to me, there is a possibility that you may have peace. Followers of Christ are guaranteed trouble, guaranteed persecution, but only have the opportunity for the possibility of peace. And I wonder if one of the reasons why we struggle so much in life is because we get those two mixed. We think with absolute certainty, I should have peace and I will have peace and I don't know if I'll ever have trouble if I've given my life to Christ. I mean, shouldn't I have a trouble-free life, a persecuted-free life, a, a trial-free life, a tribulation-free life? And I shouldn't I have peace? And if we don't experience that peace, especially the peace to the full, we can lose hope. We can get discouraged. We can get downtrodden. We can stop opening up God's word. We can stop spending time in prayer. We can stop leaning into Christ-centered community. And sadly, things get worse and worse and worse. So how do we move the possibility of peace? Which, by the way, Jesus wants us to have. He's not saying, you know, if you measure up or if you do good or if you, you know, just get lucky. John 14, 27, from Jesus, from the mouth of Jesus, he says, peace I leave with you. 
My peace I give to you. I, Jesus, do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. You see, Jesus wants us to have peace. The possibility of us experiencing peace has nothing to do with God choosing to give peace differently to certain people because they've measured up more in any way. No, no, no. Remember, John 16, he says this, I have said this to you so that, listen to this, underline this, highlight it, circle it in your Bible. He says, so that in me, you may have peace. That is the first and only requirement that funnels us right into the narrow door through which we can step into to experience the type of peace that is a possibility for all people. Jesus says, you have to be in me. Again, he says, I give you a peace unlike how the world gives peace. There's a lot of different offers of peace out in the world. There's counterfeit versions of peace, maybe cheaper versions of peace, shadow versions of peace, a peace that, you know, kind of gets you through the day, a peace that works in certain circumstances. But there is an overwhelming peace that scripture says is a peace that surpasses all understanding. It is the type of peace that enables you to move out in the world no matter what the world will throw at you. It's a type of peace that enables you to move out in the world with humility and courage no matter what is happening inside of you. It's a peace that can exist even in the midst of your doubt, even in the midst of you not having the full picture of who God is and what God is doing. And the clear message that Jesus wants us to hear is in Christ. The possibility of peace becomes a reality. Well, how do you get in Christ? You know, it's not a, a room that you just step into. It's not a building, a church building that you just enter into. No, this is a person. The fullness of God dwells in the person of Jesus. And so to become in Christ means that you have entered into a relationship with Jesus. Well, what does that look like practically? I mean, do you have to give a certain amount of money? Do you have to do more good than bad? Do you have to attend a church a certain amount of times in a year? No, no, it's not that. Let's listen to the words of Jesus. Here's what he says. This is in Mark 1.15. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. So therefore, repent and believe in the good news of the gospel. That's one thing. That's not multiple steps. It's one thing. It's to repent, which means to turn, and to believe. To turn away from the life that you have been living for yourself, maybe by a code of morality or a list of principles. And it's to turn away from that towards Jesus in your heart and in your mind. And it's simply believing. Jesus is who he says he is. I love this phrase. I heard it many, many years ago by the senior pastor who came uh, many years before me here at Bel Air Church, Pastor Mark Brewer. He often would say, you simply need to pray, Lord, I, I give all that I know of me to all that I know of you. 
I've also heard it said that we simply lift up empty hands of faith, not holding on to our good deeds, not uh, burdened by our bad deeds, but we lift up empty hands of faith and we simply receive Jesus. You see, it was Romans chapter 10 that transformed my life as a college student at the University of Southern California. I've shared this story before, but a roommate said to me, he says, Drew, I love you. And, you know, I've gotten to know you over the last couple of years. But according to my understanding of scripture, you're not a follower of Jesus because, Drew, you are the Lord of your life and you are the Savior of your life. You follow your own lead and you want everybody else to follow you even want Jesus to follow you, it seems like. You want him to do what you want him to do. But also, Drew, you are the savior of your life. And it seems like, you know, you've kind of been going back to church recently because you're trying to make up for your mistakes. And he read for me this passage in scripture. Romans 10, verse 9 through 13. I love this. Just on a personal level, how much this transformed my life. The simplicity of this truth. I pray that it reaches you today. If you're uncertain, if you are in Christ, in a relationship with Jesus, hear these words. The Apostle Paul says, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. The scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. It's by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone, all for the glory of God alone. Would you take that step today? Wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you have done or failed to do, would you simply just turn? And you're not turning because you're somehow having an encounter with me. Remember, Jesus says the kingdom of God is near. You see, when you have an experience with the living God, and that can look different for a lot of different people. But if in this moment you feel this pull on your heart, if you feel this tug in your heart, it is not me. It's not this moment. It's not anything other than what scripture says. No one can come to the father unless the father draws them to himself. It is the spirit of God at hand coming near you. Lighting up the possibility that there is so much more to life than how you've been living. And to repent is simply to turn towards that in faith and believe. And say, Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior. And in that moment, spiritually, you walk through a door. You are now in Christ. In fact, Jesus says it this way in John 10, 9. He says, I am the gate. Some translations say, I am the door. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. You know, maybe you've seen those bumper stickers. Uh, no God, no peace. No God, no peace. 
sounds the same, but spelled differently. If you have no God in your life, no Jesus in your life, you're not going to have any peace. But if you know God through a relationship with Jesus, you get to begin to know peace in experience, in life, in ways that you can't even comprehend in this moment. Yet, why is peace still so elusive for many of us who are still followers of Jesus? You see, there's this great truth. There is a, a, a spiritual reality, a spiritual reality that happens when you're in Christ. But then there's also the experience of that reality. And often there is a gap between the spiritual truth and your experience of that truth. And my prayer is that this sermon, this moment, that it would be God's spirit would enable you to understand how to help close that gap so that you would begin to experience more and more and more and more the spiritual reality that is because you are in Christ Jesus. You see, you know, it's a lot like being in L.A., you know, I've grown up in L.A., I'm a third-generation Angelino, coming up on 40 years here in Los Angeles. And, it, you know, it's true for the physical place that is Los Angeles. You can be in L.A. without experiencing all of L.A. In the same way, you can be in Christ without experiencing all of what it means to be in Christ. You know, some people, they, they, they've lived here for many, many years, and yet they've never had the experience of being up at Mount Wilson, watching the sun set over all of Los Angeles. As you hear the birds and the crickets and the sound of the forest all around you, as the light of the sky that God created goes down and as the light of the city that humanity has created goes up. What an experience of L.A. I know not everybody who's lived in Los Angeles has actually hiked through Zuma Canyon on the Ocean View Trail and listened to a bird that is native to that area that sounds like a ping pong ball bouncing through the canyon. Not everybody has had the experience of walking through downtown Los Angeles on a Monday morning, seeing the hustle and bustle of a vibrant and diverse city. Cars flying by, people walking by. Not everybody's had the experience of walking low tide at Little Doom, seeing the starfish on the rocks, seeing the kids playing seeing the whales migrating from the north. Not everybody's had the experience of being up on our physical campus here at Bel Air Church at sunset on one of the most beautiful places to watch a sunset at our patio service. And yet a lot of people have been in L.A. You see, you can be in L.A. without ever hearing the crack of a baseball at Chavez Ravine in October. And yet there's this truth that you can be in L.A. and not experience the fullness of L.A. Well, how do you experience the fullness of L.A.? 
You got to get out and go. You got to get out and experience. You've got to leave your condo. You've got to leave your apartment. You've got to leave the hotel that maybe you're staying at while you're visiting here. And you've got to experience the sights and the sounds and the smells of this city. You see, it is certainly true that there is traffic in Los Angeles. But there's only a possibility that you'll experience it. It's certainly true that Dodger Stadium only exists in Los Angeles. It doesn't exist in New York. It doesn't exist in, in uh, Philadelphia. It exists here in Los Angeles, but it's only a possibility for you to experience it. You have to get up and you have to go there. It is certainly absolutely true that there's all these beautiful things that make up this diverse city, but you will only possibly experience them if you get out of your comfort zone sometimes and experience it in the same way. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus, when you now are in Christ, you enter through that door, you are now on the other side of that door and you are inside a vast and grand and glorious kingdom. It's kind of like the Chronicles of Narnia. When they go through the wardrobe, they're now in this great kingdom. And just because they've gone through the wardrobe means they're in, means they have the possibility to experience all that they have before them, but they have to choose and set out on that adventure in the same way. I'm going to describe four destinations that we can explore that are true, that are certainly true, that are unequivocally true because of the fact that you and I are now in Christ because of our faith and our belief in him. So the four things are this, and we're going to talk about how we can, in a very practical way, explore these things, experience these things. And as we do so, we're going to learn how we get to move the possibility of peace into the realm of experience. Not only because we are in Christ, but because we are exploring more and more and more and more of what it means to be in Christ. So many of you are taking notes in a notebook, on a, on a phone, on a laptop. Four things we're going to explore. The new reality that happens because you're in Christ. The new identity that you have because you're in Christ. The new possessions that you have now that you're in Christ. And finally, the new abilities that you have because you're in Christ. This is absolutely remarkable. Listen to this. The first one is that new reality. Listen to this because you've put your faith and trust in Jesus. Now that you're in Christ, this is what you can explore. You have been set free from sin. You have received the Holy Spirit. You've been adopted into God's family. You've been given access to God. You are complete, sanctified, loved eternally, secure, born again, covered by the blood of Jesus, protected from the evil one. You are now light in the darkness and you are now more than a conqueror because nothing can separate you from the love of God. You cannot perish nor be lost. You can never be charged or accursed or condemned because you are now one with the Lord. That is now the spiritual reality that is certainly yours because you are in Christ. And I actually will have on our website today a full list of all these verses in each of the four areas. Would you go to it? Would you go to belair.org? It's going to be right there on the main page. Would you download that? 
Would you print it perhaps? Put it next to your bedside table. Maybe you just download it and you keep it on your phone. You refer to it every morning. This new reality, every single one of those things that I listed is a true reality about your life. In the same way there's true things that are certainly here in Los Angeles, you have to get out and experience. Let's focus on just one of them. Let me read this to you. This is Romans 5, 1 through 5. Paul writes this. Therefore, since we are justified by faith. This is a legal term. Because you are in Christ, God looks at you and sees in you Christ's perfect record applied to you. And therefore, God looks at you, even though, like me, we've made mistakes, we haven't measured up the good that we've wanted to do in life, we haven't always done. And that is cast aside because Jesus took that upon himself on the cross and he gives you his righteousness, his perfect record. And God looks at you and you are now holy. You are now not guilty. You are now righteous, which means to be enough. And through faith in Jesus, you have now been justified. But listen to this. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. The certain reality of being justified in God's eyes now opens up the possibility that Jesus longs for us to experience. We experience it by believing it, by meditating upon it by praying from that place, Paul says we now have peace with God. The most powerful and holy being on the planet says to you, we're at peace. We're not at war. You don't need to feel guilt. You don't need to feel shame. You don't need to run from me. No, through faith and trust in Jesus, you now have peace with me. So now how does that spill out into your life when troubles will come? Same verse, same section of scripture. Paul goes on. Therefore, we now boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been already completed, currently experienced. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has already been given to us. There's a new reality that is yours in Christ. You now have a peace with God because of that new reality. And Paul is saying the same thing that Jesus said, in me, in Christ you may have peace. It can be a reality in the midst of the certainty of trouble, of persecution, in the midst of heartache. So I want you to personalize this. I want you to think, well, what's an area in your life where more than just trouble, more than tribulation, where you are experiencing persecution? We talked about this in the last sermon series. We went through Romans. Persecution is when somebody is running after you and chasing after you because of your faith and trust in Jesus. Maybe some of you aren't being persecuted because you are withholding your faith in the public sphere. 
But if there's any area, whether that's persecution or tribulation or, or, or sorrow, would you hold on with your faith? Would you hold on with your heart? Would you hold on with your mind, even though you can't fully grasp it? This new reality that is yours because through faith you are in Christ, that you have peace with God, that there's nothing outside of you or inside you that can separate you from God's love and therefore whatever happens in life isn't going to dislodge you from God's love or dislodge God's love from you, but all the things in life are just an opportunity to rejoice that God is with you in the midst of that suffering to produce endurance and that endurance then produces character in your life. And then it produces a hope and it's a hope that will not disappoint us because it's already been given to us in Jesus Christ. Lean into that new reality. Explore it like you would explore the beaches of Los Angeles. Get out and get your toes in it. Bend down and, and touch it with your life. This reality of being in Christ. The second is this, you have a new identity. In Christ, So many verses that I could share. You are God's child. You are God's friend. You are now an ambassador for Christ. You are God's beloved. You are God's masterpiece. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are God's precious possession. You now have a new identity. This isn't about you getting an upgrade or an add-on to your life. This isn't just one of many things in your life that can make you a better person. You see, faith and trust in Jesus becoming in Christ doesn't make you a better you that you want to be. This actually transforms you into a new creation so that you can become the best version that God longs for you to be. Listen to this one verse, Romans 1.7. Paul writes to Christians everywhere and speaking specifically to those in Rome, he says, to God's beloved in Rome who are called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's apply this. Your new identity, one of many things, is that you are God's beloved. What that means, especially according to the Greek language from which we've translated this into the English, language of the New Testament, uh, God's beloved means that you are the object, you are the focus, you are the target of God's overwhelming and unconditional love. That of all the things that God has created, all the beautiful things in all of creation, the things that many of us long to experience, the things that we wish that we could experience in the midst of what's going on in our life, Jesus enables us to be reminded that we are the pinnacle of God's creation, that you are the object of God's desire that God's heart and attention could be everywhere, but actually they're with you. And because you are God's beloved, because that is your now new identity, regardless of what your boss just said, regardless of what those people have just said, regardless of the, the negative tapes that play in your mind, because you are God's beloved, you get to experience a peace, not just with God, but a peace from God. 
It's not just that there is reconciliation between you and God. There is now this new reality that because you are the object of God's desire, God is pouring out and desiring to give you a peace. And as Jesus said earlier, it's a peace unlike the world gives. It's the peace of Christ that surpasses understanding. So perhaps in this moment, would you apply that in a very practical way? Would you maybe finish this sentence? Uh, one of the things I don't like about myself is I am fill in the blank. I am lazy. I am unreliable. I am fill in the blank. However you fill in that blank, if you're honest with yourself, can somehow seep in your heart and begin to tell you the lie that that's your identity. But the conquering power of Jesus Christ and through faith and trust in him shatters all of those identities to be things that maybe you're experiencing in your life that Christ wants to help you grow through, but it's not your true identity. And would you hold on to this reality that you are God's beloved and because of that, because everything you do flows out of that identity of who you are in Christ, that you would begin to receive a peace, that which comes from God. And so as you explore that, that new identity in Christ, would it be as if you were exploring all the mountains of Los Angeles? You got to get up and climb the heights of them. Maybe get up early and watch the sunrise, watch the sunset in the midst of that new identity. Watch how that transforms you and transforms the experience of peace in your life. All right, third area. We have in Christ new possessions, new things that we are given. For example, we have now access to the Father. We have a home in heaven. We have a living hope. We have an anchor for our souls. We have now the mind of Christ. We have a power to witness. And we have all things, Paul says, in Christ. Let me go to one verse in specific. Galatians 5, through 25. Because now we possess, we have, we own the Spirit of God. I mean, talk about a thing to own. We live in a world that values consuming and buying things. A lot of things, you know, we get and they're great for a bit, but then we, you know, we want the next thing. We move on to the next thing. We think that's going to give us peace. Through faith and trust in Jesus, when you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. God's presence dwelling in you. And because of that presence, there is fruit that comes forth. Listen to this. This is Paul again in Galatians 5, 22 through 25. The fruit of the Spirit is, long list, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now what's amazing is that Paul says these aren't fruits, plural, of the Holy Spirit. He says, no, 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 this is the fruit, singular, of the Holy Spirit. That means this isn't like a personality test where you get maybe one or two and somebody else gets other ones. No, no, no. The fruit of the Spirit, when you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, when you receive the Holy Spirit, when that is now a possession, a new possession in your life, all nine of those aspects of the one fruit of the Spirit begin to grow in your life. And one of those is peace. 
And so as you, scripture says, walk by the spirit, what does that mean? That means in every moment of every day, every decision is an opportunity. These are opportunities. See, you have to step into it. It doesn't just happen naturally. You have to walk. There's an activity. There's a proactiveness. There's an intention behind it. It's to say, okay, wow, you know, as I go into this meeting, Jesus, would you give me the spirit of God front of mind to give me wisdom, to give me patience, to give me humility, to give me the words to speak? Spirit of God, would you enable me to be the type of person that you want me to be in this meeting? Maybe parents, as you're going to pick up your kids at school and you know it's going to be a tough afternoon. And maybe now in this season, it's not even picking them up to school. It's waking up and getting ready for Zoom school. That you would pray, Spirit of God, would you give me your patience? Would you give me your presence? Would you give me an ability to see them the way you see them? And watch as you walk by the Spirit. As you spend time reading God's word and applying this to your life, as you prayerfully say, Jesus, I want to follow your way, not my way. That even as you're making a mistake, you would stop and say, Jesus, okay, redirect me in this moment. That as you do those things, that fruit grows in your life. And you begin to experience peace among many other things, self-control, joy, kindness, patience, all the above. So my prayer for you is that you would take this and you would personalize it. Maybe think about an area of your life where you find yourself reacting in ways that you wish you wouldn't react. Maybe it's with family members. Maybe it's on social media. Maybe it's alone watching the news. But think about one area of your life where you find, oh, I just, I have no peace in those moments. Would you pray right now, wherever you are? Okay, in Christ, I have the Holy Spirit. In those moments, I'm not alone. It's not me and my own strength. I have the Spirit of God in those moments. So Spirit of God, grow in me the fruit of the Spirit. And may peace well up in me in such a way that it's undeniable, not only for me to experience but for those around me to experience it as well. All right, fourth and final area. In Christ, we have new abilities. It's not just a new reality, not just a new identity, not just new possessions, new abilities. Because you are now in Christ, you can pray always and everywhere. You can come boldly to the throne of grace. You can find mercy and grace to help. You can declare liberty to captives. You can defeat the enemy. And you can do all things, Paul says in Philippians 4.13. You can do all things through Christ. This is absolutely remarkable. The skills that you have now because of faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now that you are in Christ, you are now part of God's family, part of the kingdom of God, in this new reality, with a new identity, with new possessions, you now have new abilities that are yours to exercise, to do, to to harness, to live with intentionality. Here's just one of them. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21, the writer says, Now may the God of peace. You see, the kind of God that we have isn't just a God that we can be at peace with or a God that just gives us peace or bears the fruit that is peace. We have a God that is peace. 
The very nature of God is peace. You cannot separate the true definition of peace from the existence of God. And the writer of Hebrews says, Now may the God of peace, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, the God of peace who can do whatever God wants, may that God make you complete in everything, good so that you may do the will of God. Working among us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The writer of Hebrews is saying that there is a God who is by nature a God of peace, who is equipping you, who is making you complete to do all that which God longs for you to do. You know, I, as I've stepped into this role, coming up on seven years ago, as the senior pastor of Bel Air Church, you know, I wondered... Uh, you know, I share with close friends, you know, can I do it? I don't, th- I don't think I can do it. I don't think I have the experience. I don't think I have the skills. And I had this close friend of mine. He says, you can't do it. You don't have the skills. You don't have the experience. I'm like, thanks, dude. I thought this was supposed to be a pep talk. I'm talking to the wrong person. He says, no, Drew, no. You can't do this in your own strength. That's perfect. Never lose that truth. But remember, Drew, God equips those whom God has called. And so I was called to this role. And I've experienced God equipping me for things I never thought that I'd be able to do. And there's moments where I rely on my own strength. They get too busy, get too wrapped up, and maybe some uh, gifts that I have. And at those moments, I, 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 I fall short. I make mistakes. I fail. I have regrets. But in the many other moments, long before I get out of bed, I wake up early in the morning, and I just, in my mind, I, I think through the day, and I begin to pray, Jesus, I'm in you now. You tell me that you're going to give me everything I need, all the skills to be able to navigate that meeting and that phone call and that thing that's going to come up, including all the things that are going to be unexpected. Because you've called me, Jesus. So would you? Would you think about something personal in your life? Maybe an area where you feel like you don't measure up, an area in which you feel like you don't have the skills, you don't have the resources. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's now needing to handle a new diagnosis that has come your way. Maybe it's with parenting. Maybe you have a, an elderly parent that you are now providing care for. Maybe you just lost a loved one. You have no idea how to navigate this grief. Would you know that the maker of heaven and earth, who is the God of peace, who even rose Jesus from the dead, is giving you everything good so that you may do God's will. You see, the abilities that God gives you aren't just abilities for you to do whatever you want for your glory, to build your name, to make a a reputation and a great kingdom for yourself. No, God wants to give you the abilities and skills to advance God's kingdom, to follow Jesus every day and everywhere, with everyone. 
And so my prayer is that you would explore that. I'd like you to explore the streets of Los Angeles. We've got to get up and go. You see, faith is a life lived out of the safety of our comfort zone. You see, we can believe in safety, but faith is one of stepping out. Belief gets us through the door. We're now in Christ. Clearly, hear this, Philippians 1.6, Jesus says through Paul, I'm confident of this, the God who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion of Jesus Christ. Once you are through the door, you're in. You're saved. You're part of God's family. You're not going to get pulled out of it. You're going to experience all of eternity with Jesus and a peace that you will never understand. But this side of eternity, until you step into the presence of God, there is an opportunity to experience, to explore, to harness This new reality, new identity, new possessions, new abilities in Christ. And as you do so, would you experience more and more of what it means to be in Christ? Remember where we started, John 16, 33. Jesus says, I have said these things. What were these things? Listen to this. How applicable for this moment. Jesus says in John 16, 33. Verse 32, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each one to their own home. Very applicable today, in 2020 when I'm preaching this. But for them, in the first century, you will be scattered, each one to your own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. What's he referring to? Christ was alone on the cross, completely alone, except the Father was with him. And there was something that happened on the cross, a victory that occurred. When God's enemy thought that God's enemy had won, in actual fact, God had won a victory as we talked about last week, against the sins of the flesh, against the ways of this world, against the enemy of God. And because of that thing that was about to happen, which is in our past, but in that moment, in Jesus' future, Jesus says, I have told you these things. I'm going to die. I'm going to be alone. You're going to be scattered. But I have said these things to you because of that, so that in me you may, only in me, you have peace. Remember, in the world Certainly, you will face persecution. And I love this, how it ends. But take courage, take heart. As one translation says, be of good cheer. Why? He ends with the indicative. Something that is certainty. Something that can't be taken away. Something that is not a possibility. He says, I, I've conquered the world. Jesus has done it. It's been completed. And so we live, as we talked about last week, from a place of victory to onward in life. Through faith in Jesus, you are now on the inside of the kingdom of God. So now, let's explore it together for all of its glory. Not only for your peace, but a peace through you to people in your life 
and the world around you. I love this, 2 Thessalonians 3.16. This will be my short and simple prayer. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, in all ways. May the Lord be with you all. Go in peace, friends. Mm -hmm.